All right, we are back. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Vanessa Hua, and we're going to talk about her book, A River of Stars. Good morning, Vanessa. Good morning, Janine. Uh, congratulations on your latest book. And I know you've gotten, so yeah, you've gotten some great uh, reviews from a, a variety of people. How, how did you first um, get into becoming a writer? Was this something you did when you were younger? Definitely. Uh, I think I've been a writer almost as long as I've been a reader. Um, just, you know, for me, as the daughter of Chinese immigrants, um, American-born myself, I was aware early on of sort of the difference of the world within my home and the world outside of it, um, and that there were things that my parents either couldn't or, or, or wouldn't under be able to explain. So I had to sort of make my way in the world by through, through observation and, and through books. And and I think a lot of my writing, whether in journalism or in fiction, still comes from that place of trying to make an empathetic leap of imagination and, you know, understanding what, you know, people who aren't like me, what they're thinking, you know, what their ambitions are, you know, and just who they are. So tell me about this latest book, because um, there's a lot of interesting, you know, information about this. I mean, um, how did this all come about? I was living in Southern California about, uh, I guess, like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pregnant at the time with my twin sons, who just turned uh, seven, actually. And so I, I began hearing about maternity hotels. Uh, that is, it's in up. the suburbs east of Los Angeles, um, downtown Los Angeles. And also, I've heard of you know, like places like Irvine or like Chino Hills. Uh, the neighbors were baffled. Uh, you know, all these pregnant Chinese women were coming and going to suburban homes. Uh, the, you know, the whole street smelled like stir fry. The trash cans were piled high with diapers. Uh. Um, and and it, I mean, it sounded like a, a brothel in reverse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, in fact, it turned out they were coming um, a month or two before their children's uh, birthday uh, due date, so uh. that when they gave birth, their children would have U.S. US citizenship. citizenship. Yeah. And given that I was pregnant myself at the time, I knew. It was a very, you know, vulnerable time in my life, and I wondered what it was like to be so far from friends and family, and what was it about U.S. citizenship that they saw as being important for their, their child's future. And so that sort of led me down the path towards working on this book, A River of Stars. At what point did you start writing this book during your pregnancy? Yeah, it was, well, it was actually, I, I had thought, I think it was percolating in my head, but I went back and I checked, and it was actually the first draft of the short story that it initially began as. I wrote nine months, basically, after giving birth. And I thought there was sort of a perfect uh, symmetry to it. Yes. Just as it took sort of nine months for me to grow my babies, it took, you know, another nine months to, to give birth like, to this. <laughs> give birth to this and recover myself as a, as a writer. Yeah. So. Do you find yourself uh, a different person, a different uh, writer? Now that you're a mom? It's interesting. Before, long before kids were even on the horizon, I had wondered, you know, I want to have kids someday, but what will happen to my identity? Uh, and, you know, will my time be mine? And, and it is true that um, I have less time than, than ever before, yet I also have more I want to say, more I want to write about. It's been an extreme period of creative ferment because with kids, um, you know, there's sort of the physical aspect of, like, you know, being pregnant and giving birth, and yet also 
the way my kids make me see the world new again. The first time they're experiencing rain or snow and, you know, what that, what that's all about. Or, the, you know, they start asking those hard questions about, you know, Thanksgiving or Martin Luther King. These yes. are all ways where, um, as a mother and as a writer, it just makes you realize, you know, what you were taught, what you want to teach your children, and kind of what, you know, how, how, how it is that you sort of can really shape the world um, as a writer. It's so interesting you're saying all this because I have uh, spoken with so many moms and musicians and authors, and I feel like after you become a mom, you're, you become very driven to not only become a good mom, but to also be fulfilled in this world because you don't want to lose yourself. Exactly, and I think uh, no matter if you're a writer or, or have some other artistic practice or some other sense of yourself, at a certain point, it's like you, you do have an identity outside of your kids, and what will it be? Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I'll feel guilty, like, oh, I'm not with them. I'm, I'm working on this. Um, and yet at the same time, I do think it's important for them to understand I am someone who is separate from them and that I, you know, that I do, you know, for them to see the book, they see that, like, okay, this is, this is what kept me away from you all yes. these years. But, yeah. but at the same time, it's, it's like a point of pride for them to, to see the book out. Or um, since I have a weekly column at the San Francisco Chronicle, you know, they always, like, know that, that this, they have this awareness that I have some other life beyond them, and yet is also connected them to. Yeah, but you're a great role model. I mean, because you're off doing something for yourself as well. I, thought, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've read how... Um, women or, or, or boys, especially with, with working moms, it can help just kind of make sure that they have a greater sense of sort of equality and like how yes. this expectation of what, I mean, even in my own family, my mom is a scientist and my dad was an engineer and wow. there just was never any question about that, that her career was important. I knew that they loved us, but it's just that they had this other sort of professional existence that was just as fulfilling to them. Right. I think that's great. So I want to touch on a couple things in the book. There's a controversy over so-called anchor babies and the immigration policy. What exactly are anchor babies? So in, in some ways, anchor babies are also um, a, a political myth in the sense that there's this, it, the way it's couched is it's as if somehow you have a baby here, then you can just keep on staying here and it like helps you cut the line. When in fact, uh, in these maternity centers, it's sort of a different issue. Um, the women coming here, whether they're from China or Russia or, you know, other places where I've heard, you have to have enough economic means to come here on a tourist visa and stay here for a couple months. And then you leave because your life is back, you know, elsewhere. But it's, in a sense, uh, people do this because they're, it's like almost an insurance policy. Like, like what, what might happen in the future? We just want to hold this. It's like a savings bond, for example, if gotcha. you, you, you could think of it that way. But I really do think that immigration and identity and nationality is all becoming more fluid. I've heard of, I've given, gone to readings, um, and I've met people in the audience who say, oh, yeah, my grandmother or mother was Irish or Italian, and now I've gotten my EU passport. Or you think about the yeah. founder, one of the founders of Facebook, Eduardo Severin, he was Brazilian-born, and he became a U.S. citizen, but then he gave that up to be to have Singaporean permanent residency to you know save on taxes. So this whole notion of having multiple passports or where your identity really is is I think become very fluid and I think that's something that's reflected in the book. Mm -hmm. Could you share a little bit about China's one child policy and you know reproductive choices? 
Sure, definitely. Um, and it, it plays um, a major, that policy plays a major role in sort of shaping my main character's um, ambivalence about motherhood and why she left home um, as a teenager to work in the factories and then sort of had a very complicated relationship with her mother. So Scarlett Chen, um, like many in her generation, um, was born in a time where there was only one child. The China's one pol- child policy um, went from, uh, you know, 78, 79, all the way through to 2015. And China was trying to curb population growth to encourage um, economic development. And so through this social engineering, um, there were some, you know, very draconian measures, enforced abortions, enforced sterilizations, um, and in some ways that led to the adoption of, um, overseas adoptions of Chinese girls who were, you know, some families might put them up for adoption in the hopes of having um, a son um, okay. after that. And so, they, you know, they end up on U.S. shores and elsewhere. Um, and so it, it just created a, a generation of um, women like Scarlett, like, you know, where, you know, there was, like, there was either only an only child in the household or there was like a thought like, well, we need to do what we can to kind of create the families we want, whether it's like going overseas to get IVF to have, um, you know, twins yeah. or, you know, it, I think it's almost all part of the continuum, that idea like, okay, we'll come to the U.S. to get U.S. citizenship. It's sort of all related to this idea of like, we will do what we can to um, have, you know, shape the families that we want, right. eat, uh, given these restrictions. So let's talk a lot about your book a little bit. Without giving too much away, could you give the listeners a little bit of information about it? Definitely, yeah. Uh, when people ask what the book's about, I've been calling it a pregnant Elma and Louise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Scarlett Chen, the main character, is sent to one of these maternity centers by her married lover, Boss Young. And uh, when the ultrasound reveals something, she decides that, and he subsequently betrays her, she realizes she needs to escape from the attorney center. So she commandeers a van, uh, which turns out to have a teenage stowaway, another, um, a pregnant teenager also from the center, Daisy. Uh, So they make their way to San Francisco, Chinatown, um, where they sort of hide out, regroup, and sort of like forge a new path for themselves and for their uh, their children. When's the movie coming out? <laughs> well, it's, uh, we, we, we uh, let, stay tuned. Uh, you know, because I'm like imagining this and all of a sudden there's a pregnant stowaway and I'm like, movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love it. Do you have any advice for other writers who are struggling, you know, to get their voice out there? I know it's a very competitive market. Yeah, I mean, I think... You definitely have to get used to rejection, but the best way of uh, getting used to it is sort of like, you know, get one rejection, immediately send out that story again or send out another query, and you begin to build up a, a thick skin and realize it's, it's not personal and that you will it, – it's, it's all about persistence. But, I mean, given all that, it's also um, about, you know – my training as a journalist taught me about writing sort of daily and also knowing that I can always go back and revise and, you know, not being so sort of hung up on writing perfection on the first draft. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And I also think it's important to find writing community, whether that's in a writing group or going to a writing conference or whether it's online or in person or having an accountability buddy where you're just texting to check in, like, if they know a deadline's coming up. Uh, because there is, 
Um, it can't, writing ultimately is very solitary. You know, nothing's going to get the work out on the page except you alone. Exactly. Um, but, the, but it's really important to have that sense of community to commiserate and to, to celebrate. And I've found as much as I put into community, it comes back to me like a uh, hundred times more. You know, I want to ask you, where do you find your best writing and what time of day? I am a firm believer in hours of power. Okay. Uh, I, I think um, in the sense that I will always, whatever time I have, I will try and, um, you know, fill. Yet uh, the work that's most important to me, I think I'll get done well in the morning or sort of like in the late afternoon before the, the babysitter leaves. That's my, for my journalism training. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not going to spend those hours where I'm most productive creatively, you know, filling on invoice. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> do the stuff that's most important to you in the hours when you're at your best. And you can still manage the other stuff. Um, but just, you know, make sure you use your, your hours of power. But I know some people write all night or after dinner, but I find if I do that, then I, you know, can't fall asleep. And the kids always are up by like I this, agree. So, yeah. Oh, no, I'm better earlier in the day. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, where can people find out more about you? I have a website, uh, com. That's spelled V-A-N-E-S-S-A-H-U-A.com. And uh, it has not only information about my books, but also links to my essays, uh, my column, and you know, all, all sorts of fun stuff. Fantastic. Any last bit of advice for people that uh, you know want to make 2019 pretty awesome and get published? Or you know, even if it's you know, with... Uh, Whatever, Huffington Post, anything. I think, uh, I mean, there are two things I always think of. Um, first, uh, your chance may be small, but if you don't apply, then you're, you know, then you'll have none at, at all. So just always think about how to put yourself out there. Um, it can be hard, but just, I mean, figure out how to put your work out there. Um, and secondly, and it, this may sound initially sort of depressing, um, but I actually even wrote this phrase down and had it stuck to my computer for a while. Okay. Uh, but the phrase is, no one will care as much as you do. <laughs> so even if you have a great editor, agent, partner, you know, writing group, and ultimately the work rests on you. So it's up yeah. to you to make it the best that you can be. And I mean, it's empowering in a way. I think, it is. Because, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's your message. You, you just believe in the, your message and carry on and, you know, move forward. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for calling in. I put all your info on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And happy holidays. And I'll put a link up on the show blog within an hour or so after I wrap. Awesome. Happy holidays to you, too, and to your listeners. Thank you. That was Vanessa Hua talking about her book, A River of Stars. If you missed any part of this, like I said, all the info is on the show blog. If you want to find out about being a guest, uh, all you have to do is email me at Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at K-U-C-I dot org. That's J-A-N-E-A-N-E at K-U-C-I dot org. I'm on Twitter at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock, and K-U-C-I is on Twitter at KUCIFM, we're on Instagram at KUCIFM, Tumblr, blog.kuci.org, and we are on Facebook at KUCI 88.9. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.